All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew <clears throat> chapter 10 with me, if you would. Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, and we're just going to read verse 16, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Matthew 10 verse 16 says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this most wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the time we spent around your table of remembrance. We thank you for the songs we'd be able to sing and praise to your name. We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful love, your grace, your mercy. And we pray now, Lord, as we come around your word this morning, we pray that you would uh, just teach each of us this morning, instruct us through your word. I pray that you would empower me through the Spirit and your wisdom and guidance as I speak. And that, Lord, I pray uh, everything I say this morning would be from you and that you would be honoured and glorified now, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, we've uh, begun a series on the parables of our Lord, and we've been looking at some of the parable sayings, those short little sayings that uh, our Lord said as he was teaching and uh, preaching here on earth. And this morning we come to consider this saying found here in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 10, the saying is, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And this parable saying is only found here in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, the other two that we've already looked at um, in the last couple of weeks, they were found in multiple places. But this one's only found here in Matthew uh, chapter 10. But that doesn't make it less important. It's still a parable that our Lord uses to teach an important truth unto his disciples and indeed unto us as believers. You know, in order for us to understand the truth that Christ is teaching here, we, we must first consider the context, as we have with the other little parable sayings. We need to consider the context in which it is given. You know, context is of utmost importance when it comes to understanding anything in the Word of God. And these parable sayings are no different. And here in Matthew chapter 10, uh, Christ gives this parable saying in the context of sending forth his 12 disciples on uh, a mission, okay, on a missionary journey, if you like, sending them forth as his ministers. Just look from verse 1 with me. It says, And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sicknesses, uh, sickness sorry, and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded, saying, so these 12 are called before him, his 12 disciples. He calls them together and Christ now sends them forth. He commissions them to go forth in his name, with his power, his authority, and to go forth uh, on a, a special mission, if you like. And it's in the midst of this commission 
that Christ gives this parable saying. And so in order for us to fully understand the reason for the parable and the lesson that Christ is teaching, let's first consider this morning uh, Christ's commission under his disciples. And so consider with me, first of all, the content of the commission. The content of the commission. Let's just read from verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey. Neither two, neither two coats, nor shoe, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it, and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Here verses 5. Uh, right through to verse 15, now we stopped at verse 13, but verses 5 to 15, we read Christ's commission here under his 12 disciples leading up to verse 16, where we find this parable saying. And in this commission, Christ tells his disciples a number of things, but let's just highlight the, the main points, if you like. He tells them, first of all here, he tells them what they are to do. Okay? He tells them what they're sent forth to do. Verse 5 and 6, we'll just read those two verses again. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so we see in verse 5 and 6 that Christ commissions them, he sends them forth primarily at this time to go and minister unto the Jews. First of all, he tells them here not to go into the cities of the Gentiles or into the cities of the Samaritans, but instead concentrate their attention on the cities of Israel. And you know, this is consistent with the rest of the Word of God. In Romans chapter 1, we see that this is the pattern of the gospel. Just turn over there, Romans 1. <clears throat> Romans 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so here we see the, the pattern of the gospel. It was for the Jew first and then also the Greek or the Gentile. And so it came first unto the Jews and then it spread forth from there unto the Gentile world when the Jews rejected the truth. And this was the pattern that the Apostle Paul followed in his ministry as well. Go to Acts 13 with me. Acts 13. <clears throat> And just verse 46, Acts 13 and verse 46, it says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. This is Paul's pattern of ministry as he went forth. He went first to the Jews in every place and then unto the Gentiles. And so what Christ is telling his disciples to do here follows that pattern of the scriptures. They are commissioned to go forth unto the lost sheep 
of Israel. That was where their ministry was to begin. And of course, it would be expanded unto all the nations of the world. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, expanded their ministry. But for now, they were to focus on the cities of Israel. And as they went forth, they're told to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's their message. Verse 7 <clears throat> says, And as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <clears throat> this is their message that they're preaching, that they are declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is the same message that John the Baptist had come preaching. It's also the same message that Christ had preached in Matthew chapter 4. Let's just go and look at that one. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> and verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Christ himself had been preaching this message, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he sends his disciples forth with this same message. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's a message that calls upon the Jews to prepare their hearts to receive their Messiah to receive the Lord and to receive the salvation that he brings and so effectively they're going forth to prepare the way for the gospel aren't they it's a gospel message that they're taking forth unto the Jewish people and not only are they told to preach this message but they're also told to perform miracles he gives them a ministry of miracles in his power verse 8 says heal the sick <clears throat> cleanse the lepers raise the dead Cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. So they're told to go forth also in his power, performing miracles in the name of the Lord. And these miracles, these good works that they performed, they were given to verify the message. That's the reason for them. It's to verify the, the truth of what they are declaring unto the Jews, that Christ is their Messiah. You know, this was always the purpose of miracles, to verify the truth of God's word, the truth of God's messenger, what he was saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just quickly turn there. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22, it says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Paul, he says to the Corinthians, he says, the Jews require a sign. The Jews wouldn't believe without a sign, without a miracle to prove that the disciples were speaking the truth, were speaking the word of God. And indeed, as Christ came, that's why he performed miracles. It was a sign to demonstrate that he brought the truth, that he was indeed their Messiah. And so he has sent forth his disciples and what they are to do is they are to go forth and preach and teach and perform these miracles unto the Jewish people. That's their mission, isn't it? They're sent forth to do. We see secondly here that Christ tells them how they are to go. He tells them how to go. Look in verse 9. He says, Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire, who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it, and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. So in this section, now Christ tells them how it is 
that they are to go. He's told them what they are to do. Now he tells them how they are to go. And in other words, he's telling them here what they need for this journey, for this ministry. And Christ here basically tells them to travel lightly. He tells them not to take much with them, only take that which is absolutely necessary. In verse 9, Christ tells them not to provide gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, neither script for your journey. They're not to provide or worry about making sure they've got enough funds for the journey. You see, the implication here is that they are to go forth trusting the Lord. They're to go forth trusting that God will provide, that God will meet their needs along the way as they go forth on this missionary journey. And it's for the same reason that Christ then in verse 10 tells them that they don't need an extra coat or extra shoes. Verse 10, it says, Nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves. For the workman is worthy of his meat. In verse 10, he basically says you don't need any extra stuff. You don't need an extra coat. You don't need an extra sandwich. You don't need extra stuff because I will provide for you along the way. God will provide. And so they were to go forth with what they had, trusting the Lord. And basically, you know, the Lord's calling upon them here to put into practice what he had taught them in Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount. Just go quickly there. Matthew chapter 6. It's a well-known passage. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. It says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for things of itself, Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. <clears throat> it's a passage we know well. You know, it's a passage that Christ teaches, uh, where Christ teaches us to rely upon the Lord, to rely upon God to provide our needs as we serve Him. We don't need to worry about these things. We don't need to be concerned about temporal things. God will provide as we serve Him. And Christ, He, he, he taught the, the disciples the principle, Matthew chapter 6, And now he tells them to practice it, doesn't he? He says, now practice this. Put it into practice. Go forth in faith, trusting God to provide. And we're told one of the ways that God would provide is through the hospitality of others. That's what it says there at the end of verse 10. It says, For the workman is worthy of his meat, and into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till... You go thence, and when you come into an house, salute it. If the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. And if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Christ tells them that one of the ways that they would be provided for in this journey is through the hospitality of others. You know, here 
we see that the people who the disciples ministered unto, they had the honor, the privilege, and the responsibility of providing for them, supporting them in their labor. And Christ here calls these ones who welcomed them into their homes as being worthy. He says that these are worthy. Verse 11 says, And unto, sorry, and into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And there abide until you go thence. Commentator Henderson said this. He said, Most likely the missionaries would first of all preach out in the open at this or that street corner in the marketplace or square, or if invited to do so in the synagogue. And from the response they received, it would not be difficult to determine who among the listeners were worthy or deserving to provide hospitality to the bringers of good tidings. You see, as they went to each place and they began to minister, it wouldn't be long before they realized who was receiving the truth. They were the ones who were worthy. Those were the ones who were deserving and would show them hospitality. You know, throughout Israel, there were people who were patiently waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it's no doubt those people who would readily receive the truth, receive this message and the disciples. And so the disciples are to go forth preaching, performing these miracles, doing the work of the Lord, and they're to trust God to provide through the means of hospitality and others providing for them along the way. But then Christ tells them one final thing. He tells them that they will face opposition. And so he warns them of the opposition they will face. Look in verse 14. It says, And whatsoever, sorry, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So Christ has told them that they will find people who are worthy, people who would show them hospitality, provide their needs. But then Christ also warns them that they wouldn't always find that. They wouldn't always be welcomed where they preach. It's clear from verse 14 and 15 that there's going to be times when they would enter into a city and they wouldn't find a listening audience. Some places would reject the message. They wouldn't find someone worthy, someone who accepted them and, and brought them into their homes, showed them hospitality. As Christ says that what they are to do is to leave that city, and he says, and shake off the dust of your feet as you leave. Uh, this is an expression that basically says, leave and have nothing more to do with that city. He says, leave them behind, move on to a new place, and let God deal with those who reject the truth. But the point is, the disciples could expect opposition. That's what Christ is telling them here. And he emphasizes that point now at the start of verse 16. He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Christ tells them that as they go forth on this journey, as they go forth as his ministers preaching, perform these miracles in his power, trusting him to provide, as they go forth, they're going forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, this expression immediately tells us that the opposition is going to be fierce. You know, the disciples are going to be like a vulnerable sheep right there in the midst of all these wolves surrounded on every side. You see, our Lord doesn't sugarcoat how strong and vicious the opposition is going to be. Indeed, the Lord even goes on in verse 17 to 23 to outline exactly what they can expect to face throughout their their lives serving the Lord. Verse 17, he says, But beware of men, 
For they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother uh, shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father of the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel to the Son of Man come. He makes it very clear in verse 17 to 23 what they can expect to face in the years ahead as they serve him. Christ tells them they'll be put on trial, they'll be scourged, they'll be hated, persecuted. They'll even have people seeking to put them to death. You see, they'll be sent forth to do a great work for the Lord, but with that uh, honour came with it great opposition. And it's in this context that Christ now gives this short little parable saying so consider now secondly the lesson in the parable look there again in verse 16 it says behold i send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves now christ has commissioned his disciples to go forth preaching the truth relying upon his power, his provision, and he's told them you're going to face fierce opposition. And then Christ says, Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know, in this short parable saying, Christ tells his disciples, and indeed he tells all believers how we are to conduct ourselves as we go forth to serve him. How it is that we are to conduct ourselves as we preach the truth in the face of opposition and persecution. And the parable consists of two phrases, so let's consider the meaning of each of them. The first phrase, Christ says that his disciples and us, he says that we are to be wise as serpents. Now we often think of serpents in the word of God as a representation of evil, don't we? Of evil, of cunning, wicked actions, deception. Indeed, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan tempted Eve in the form of a serpent. Let's go there. I know we know the passage, but let's read it. Genesis 3 verse 1. <clears throat> Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan here tempts Eve in the form of a serpent. And we're told the serpent here is more subtle than any beast of the field. This was the chosen vessel of Satan when he came to tempt Eve and she fell into sin. And we're all sinners because of Eve took the fruit and gave unto her husband with her. So the serpent there, Satan used the serpent as his vessel. You know, throughout the word of God, Satan himself is said to be a serpent. Go to Revelation. 12 with me. <clears throat> Revelation 12 and verse 9. 
it says, And the great, uh, great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. It says, That old serpent called the devil. And so the devil is described as a serpent. He's described this way for his cunning, deceptive nature. Even the Pharisees were called serpents by our Lord. Go to Matthew 23 with me. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33. <clears throat> that doesn't look like the right verse. It is right? Okay. I'm not reading the far enough. Okay. Matthew 23, verse 33. I'm looking at 23. That's my problem. All right. That's why I'm in the wrong place. All right. Verse 33. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? See, the Lord calls them serpents. He calls them a generation of vipers. And again, he's describing the Pharisees this way. Why? Because of their deceptive, poisonous nature. They're a danger unto others. The point is the serpent is often used in the Word of God as a description of wickedness, isn't it? A description of uh, deception. And for this reason, it almost seems strange that our Lord tells us to be wise as serpents. It seems a bit strange, doesn't it? It seems sort of almost completely opposite of what Christ would tell us to do. But here the focus is on the wisdom of the serpent to avoid danger. It's the, the wisdom of the serpent to preserve its own life, to seek its own protection. You see, the word wise here means thoughtful, discreet, cautious. And so we're told to be cautious as serpents. One commentator wrote this. He said, the prudence of the serpent is especially apparent in the quickness of its perception of danger and the swiftness with which it escapes from it. The serpent perceives danger and flees, gets out of it, protects its head. The serpent protects itself. You see, with this phrase, Christ is instructing his followers to exercise that same caution as they go forth on this missionary journey, as they go forth as his ministers. You see, as they went forth to preach the gospel message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they were to be wise, they were to be cautious and not expose themselves unnecessarily to injury or danger. You know, Christ has already told them that persecution is going to come. He's already told them they're going to face fierce opposition. They're going to suffer, so they don't need to go looking for it. They don't need to go looking for it. And indeed, they didn't need to simply sit still and allow it to happen either. As he said before, if a city rejected them, they would dust off their feet and move on. They want to sit still and allow it to happen. One commentator wrote this. He said, His apostles ought not to offer themselves to injury or martyrdom or involve themselves needlessly in trouble or danger. They were bound to use discretion and even astuteness in avoiding mischief and guarding life and liberty. See, Christ didn't want his disciples just to go out there seeking to become martyrs. Just go out there and needlessly throw their lives away. Needlessly seek persecution. Needlessly stand there and allow opposition to come. And indeed, the same is true for us as believers today. You know, we've been commissioned 
by our Lord like the disciples to go forth preaching and teaching the gospel message. But to go forth in his power. But as we go forth, there is opposition that will come. And therefore, we must be wise as serpents. We need to be wise to our surroundings, be wise to the situations that we're in. Be wise what to say and when to say it. Be wise that we don't deliberately, needlessly put ourselves in danger. Deliberately, needlessly bring reproach, bring opposition. Be wise also to seek safety when persecution comes. The commentator Ryle, he wrote this, he said, Our Lord Jesus does not require us to throw aside our common sense when we undertake to work for him. He doesn't require us to throw aside our common sense and just throw our lives away and just deliberately bring opposition, needlessly bring opposition against ourselves. Another commentator wrote this, he said, The general principle is that a servant of Christ should not court reproach invite trouble or involve himself in suffering or danger if he may honorably and conscientiously avoid it. Zeal is good, but if not associated with tact and discretion, it may do harm by provoking irritation against the truth and exposing holy things to contempt. See, sometimes by speaking, we're deliberately provoking and it's not, it's not needed. We don't need to provoke. Zeal is good, but we need tact and discretion as well. We need to exercise wisdom and not deliberately, needlessly bring reproach, bring persecution. And so we must as believers be wise as serpents. But you see, that's balanced with the second phrase, isn't it? Harmless as doves. The word harmless here means unmixed, unadulterated, unalloyed. And so you could translate it innocent or pure as a dove. You see, Christ here instructs his disciples and us. He says, be wise, be cautious like a serpent as you go forth and preach the gospel message. But at the same time, be innocent, unmixed, be pure like a dove. You see, with this phrase, Christ is reminding his disciples that as they go forth to preach, they must still maintain a godly testimony. They must still maintain a godly character before those they're ministering to. You see, being wise and cautious to avoid unnecessary danger does not mean compromise. You see how this, is, this balances it out, doesn't it? Seeking to avoid danger doesn't mean we compromise the truth. We stand for the truth, and if that brings persecution, praise God. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying compromise the truth. And that's why this second bit is balanced with the first. You see, being wise, being cautious to avoid unnecessary danger doesn't mean compromise. The disciples were to make sure they remained pure, innocent before men, by whatever actions they took. Brown summed it up well. He said this, Alone, the wisdom of the serpent is mere cunning, and the harmlessness of the dove little better than weakness. But in combination, the wisdom of the serpent would save them from unnecessary exposure to danger and the harmlessness of the dove from sinful expedience to escape it. You see, they, the two go together, don't they? They're in perfect combination, perfect unison. 
Both attributes are necessary as we go forth to serve the Lord in this world. We must have the wisdom of the serpent. We must be cautious, be aware of our surroundings, be aware of danger, and respond wisely. But at the same time, we must maintain purity. We must stand up for the truth. We must not seek to escape or avoid danger by compromise. You know, the Apostle Paul gives us a perfect example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's quickly turn there. 1 Corinthians 9. And verse 19, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Now Paul here, he declares, he says, that he was made all things to all men, that he might by all means save some. And Paul here is not talking about compromise, is he? Paul here is... He's talking about how he exercised the wisdom of the serpent, wisdom in his ministry so that he wouldn't cause unnecessary offense and bring unnecessary opposition. And so what he did was when he was amongst the Jews, he kept the Jewish feasts, he kept the Jewish holidays, he acted like a Jew to not upset them. But then when he was amongst the Gentiles, he put aside those things lest he offend them. You see... Paul understood who he was ministering to and he tried not to cause unnecessary offence. You see, Paul never, never compromised his purity, did he? Never compromised. He remained innocent. He remained pure. He didn't compromise the faith in order to avoid causing offence. He understood the two are balanced together. And beloved, that's what Christ is teaching us here. You see, like the disciples, we have been commissioned to go forth to preach the gospel message. We are to go forth trusting His power and His provision as we go. And we can expect opposition, persecution to come. But therefore, we must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Be discreet, cautious, and yet at the same time, innocent and pure not compromising upon the truth. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this short little parable and Lord, the wonderful truth that it teaches us. And Lord, may you help us each and every day to be wise as serpents, not bring unnecessary opposition, unnecessary persecution, but Lord, help us to be wise and how we deliver the gospel and where we deliver it and how we speak. And Lord, at the same time, may we remain pure, innocent, not compromise upon the truth. Lord, help us to be uh, the servants you want us to be as we go forth to fulfill the great commission in this earth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.